as I think about communicating, I've never seen anything, read anything, studied anything, been in any training that ever suggested that I should start a message with this verse. So I thought, good, let's do something different then. So here is our opening verse from the mouth of Jesus. Are you ready? John 16:33. In this world you will have trouble. I know what you're thinking. I am so glad I came today. You're thinking, I was just in prayer last night saying, Lord, give me a word. Give me a word. And so I feel like I have a word now. In this world, you will have trouble. How encouraging is that? Jesus said it. It's like, thanks a lot, Jesus. You know, you, you tell us this. We don't like to hear about trouble. We want to hear about blessing and prosperity and hope and a future. And, all. and of course we do. We all want to hear that. I get that. I, I sometimes look at translations because I think maybe it's saying something a little different than what we think. In this world, you will have trouble. Go to the King James. In this world, you will have tribulation. Okay, well, that didn't make me feel any better. And so then you go, I really love the New Living Translation. And so I thought, I wonder how the New Living Translation says it. And it does say it a little different. The King James NIV says, in this world, the New Living Translation says, on this earth. So I thought, okay, it's a little different. Let's see what the rest of it says. On this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Thanks a lot. That didn't help either. But the truth is, this verse actually has three sentences in it, and I took the middle sentence. And this is a good lesson on why we should keep the Word of God in context, because you can make the Word of God say anything. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this is a truth. In this world, you will have trouble. But it's not quite as depressing as it seems, so let's look at the whole verse in, in uh, John 16, 33. Jesus has just told the disciples all kinds of stuff that's about to go down. He hasn't really hidden it to him. He's been real straight about how it's going to happen. They even say, well, thank you. You talked to us straight and plain. We weren't confused. And then he says this, I've said these things to you so that you, in me, Jesus says, in me, you may, he's not going to force it upon you, but you may have what? Peace. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So in Jesus, we have the opportunity to have peace. Now, it's an interesting choice of words. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. So we can be in Jesus and go for peace, or we can decide we're going to, you know, go for the world and be in trouble. And even if we go for Jesus, the world sometimes collides because we know this, right? We are in this world. We're not of this world, but we're still in this world. So, so if, if you're five years old today, you've had some kind of trouble in your life. You've had some kind of trial, some type of testing, some type of sorrow, something's happened. And Jesus said, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. Be of good cheer. Be, one, one translation, take courage. I don't know if you've ever thought about the word encourage. You are in courage. Have courage. Why, why should I have courage? Jesus said, because I have overcome the world. Wow, it's good news. I've overcome the world. See, Jesus often says things that is implied that we have it too. We talked about one last week. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go therefore. He didn't say it's been given unto you, but it's implied that what he has, we have. What we have, he has. In fact, the most basic definition, this is an understatement, but 
a very rude definition of a covenant, which a covenant's not a word we use a lot in our everyday language, but it's used all over the legal community all the time, a covenant. A covenant is a legal binding agreement between two or more parties. And the bottom line to a covenant is this. When we come into a covenant relationship with God, we are really saying this. Everything I have is yours. And everything you have is mine. We tend to like the last half of the covenant. Everything you have is mine, but everything we have is his as well. And so we come into covenant. So if Jesus has authority, we have authority. If Jesus is an overcomer, then we are overcomers because we're in covenant with him. Everything he has is ours. Everything uh, we have is his and vice versa. We are overcomers. We have authority in Jesus. And so we don't have to live in torment or in trouble all the time. We can actually live as overcomers. The teaching goes along with what we've been talking about, that we want to grow up to go up. We want to grow up spiritually. We want to mature in Christ so that we can operate in this overcoming power of God. So that troubles and tests and trials, they don't break us down. We just, we, by the power of the Spirit, we begin to grow up spiritually and begin to plow through those things and go forward in God. So I've, I've titled this message today, uh, Running with Horses. Running with Horses. The conversation of that comes between God and Jeremiah. Jeremiah um, and God have a great relationship. They talk very frank with each other. It's not disrespectful, but it's very frank. Jeremiah will tell God how he feels. God will tell Jeremiah how he feels. And Jeremiah comes to God and says, you know what, i got some problems here. First of all, I look around at your people and the problems that they have. And he said, and by the way, while I'm at it, may I add something else? Jeremiah says, I really don't like how the wicked keep prospering. He says, and probably somebody's asked that before. You know, probably somebody in this room has said, Lord God, I try to do everything I know to do, and my pagan, heathen, ungodly neighbor just keeps prospering, getting richer. He comes over every day until I got another promotion at work. Hey, you want to come over and see my new Corvette that I paid cash for? No, I don't want to come over and see your new Corvette that you paid cash for. Why is the wicked continuing to prosper? And so we, we look at that and we go, what's going on? And so Jeremiah is asking God these questions. And Jeremiah respond, or God responds to Jeremiah with this verse in Jeremiah 12, 5. He says, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you down, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you down, how can you compete with horses? Armies have more than just foot soldiers. Back in this day, they had horse soldiers and chariots and all kinds of things. If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What he's really telling Jeremiah and telling us at the same time, because remember, these things were written as examples for us. That's what the scripture says. What he's really telling them and telling us is, we need to toughen up. We need to toughen up. We need to get stronger in the things of God. If we get wiped out real easily, what's going to happen if we get a real problem? Little tests, little trials, little bumps of the road. If they give us problems and we're just all worn out and we want to throw in the towel. I don't know. I don't know if I can keep serving you, Jesus. I, I shared my faith in a little tiny way and somebody said I was a Jesus freak. I don't know if I can go on anymore. The tribulation and persecution is too tough. You know, God's saying, Jeremiah, toughen up. People of God, toughen up. If you're worn out with the footman, how are you going to 
handle it when you get in some real problems with the horses and in the bad thickets of the Jordan. So really what God's saying to Jeremiah is something that I've mentioned before. He's really looking at Jeremiah. And he looks at us too and he says, is that all you got? Is that it? It just took that little bit to bump you off. The wicked are prospering and, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, just go on with God. Go on with God. Now, I want to tie these thoughts together. Jesus is opening with the words, in me you have peace, in the world you have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I want to tie that together with Jeremiah's ability or inability to run with horses. God is teaching Jeremiah and us that when we plow through and press through troubles by the power of God, we strengthen our spiritual muscles. We strengthen our spiritual muscles, our mental muscles, our emotional muscles, so we can be stronger and we can go faster. With each trouble of life, be at peace, take heart, be encouraged. You are an overcomer. You're getting stronger, you're getting faster. You're getting stronger, you're getting faster. You're getting stronger, you're getting faster. But I do want you to know, if you go out to a restaurant today and you order the deluxe hamburger, and you say, I want this hamburger with no onions. Is that plain? No onions. I don't want onions. And it comes back with onions, and it ruins your day, and everybody else at the table's day, because having onions, just, oh, just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if it just wipes you out and makes you mad, and you make everybody's lunch miserable because they put onions on there, you know, God wants to say, is that all you got? Some onions overpowered you. You know, you can do better than that. You can be straight. Now, I get it. Who wants to get a wrong order? But you simply say, I'm sorry. I asked for no onions. And they'll say they're sorry, and they'll bring you another one without onions. It's not that tough. If people disappoint you and you get in the funk, if folks let you down, you decide you're going to retaliate, if you get tripped up at little offenses, little disappointments, or whatever, you're never going to build your spiritual muscles. You're never going to build your mental and emotional muscles as well. Now, some people would say, well, that's crazy, you know. Can't keep up with the footman. How are you going to run with horses? No one can run with horses. Well, first of all, it's a spiritual concept. You get that. But I also want you to know this. With God, apparently, you can keep up with horses. In 1 Kings 18, the second half of verse 44 through 46, Elijah's prayed for rain. It's a really cool story, but I just want to pick up on this one topic. Elijah says to his helper, he says, go tell Ahab, Ahab's a wicked king. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Of course, they're looking around, what rain? Elijah just seen a cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, that's all I need. That's all I need. It's here. It's coming. And he said, the rain's going to stop you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Isn't that crazy? A chariot with at least one horse, probably two, could not keep up with Elijah under the power of God. Under the power of God. See, that, that's us. I want to make this clear. We don't have it. The Bible says that we are to show the world that we're just earthen vessels, jars of clay, that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. I mean, Elijah didn't get to Jezreel, and they say, how did you outrun that chariot? Well, you know, I try to keep fit. You know, I, 
I got my morning routines, and I stretch a lot, and I've been training. No, he, how do you outrun the horses? By the power of God. Overcoming power. The ability to even outrun footmen comes from God. And the ability to outrun horses comes from God. Remember, Jesus said, be encouraged. I've overcome the world. I have made you an overcomer. I don't know if we've ever thought about this, but there's so much stuff in the Bible about he's made you more than a conqueror. He's made you an overcomer. You're more than able. Those are all great verses to you pause and say, hold it. In order to be an overcomer, I must have some kind of problem I'm going to have to overcome. We don't like that part. But it's okay because we're overcomers. Overcomers overcome. It's the daily little things. Practice overcoming. This week I made, I made Darlene a waffle. Want that to sink in? Okay. I don't know how this happened, but I'm in charge of two things. The grill and the waffle iron. So we try to use those as little as possible in our household. And so I said, I'll make you a waffle, so I make this stuff up. I, I want to tell you how hard to work this is. It takes powder, oil, water, stirring. Whew. And then I put this stuff in the waffle iron, close the lid. As soon as I close the lid, oh, man, I normally spray it with this olive oil spray to make sure it doesn't stick. But I said, every waffle iron, seriously, look it up. Every waffle iron will advertise you non-stick surface. They are liars. <laughs> liars. So the thing clicks, it's ready to go. I open it up, and it's just like, you know, it's all stuck, and it all just mangles apart and everything. And um, I just said, you know what? We're going to reheat and re-pour. You know, some people, I'm serious about it. Some people would cuss, rant, rave, get upset, get mad, ruin their day, slam stuff around, throw it around. Just relax, reheat, and re-pour. So I, I put on some, I did learn my lesson, put on the olive oil spray, made her the most amazing waffle she's ever had that day, and uh, she, she got to enjoy a waffle. You just practice overcoming little things. Now if you say, wow, you gone crazy at the stuck waffle would have been me, then that's okay. You, you, wherever you are, you are. You start growing from there. You start practicing, overcoming just little things. See, when you talk about trials and tribulations, everybody thinks of like the end of the world kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Man, I'm going to get my head cut off for the, the testimony of Jesus. That could, could happen, absolutely. Most of the time, that kind of dire tribulation does not happen. Or people say, oh man, trouble and trial. I know I'm going to be like Job. I'm going to lose all my family. I'm going to lose my spouse. I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my possessions. I'm going to be sitting in a, a pile of ashes and I'm going to be covered in sores and that. No, most of the time, we don't end up with Job-sized Job trials or troubles or tests. So start out with the little things. You're late for work, you got an important meeting, and you can't find the keys. That's a trouble. That's a trial. Start having victory over those things. Many years ago, well, not that many, when I was a young teenager... <laughs> handful of years ago, I made a decision. I made a decision that I was going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Uh, and right there, I want to tell you, there's a secret. People used to ask me, how do you, and trust me, I did more than enough knuckleheaded stuff and stupid stuff. I get all that. But I'm just saying, people would ask, how did you avoid some of these bigger problems? And I said, I never could figure it out. And I got about my mid-30s, and I thought, oh, I know why. Because 
I had truly become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. He wasn't a hobby. He wasn't a Sunday morning thing. He was my life. And so there were things that the world offered me that I had to say, is this conducive to a fully devoted follower of Jesus? And most of the things the world offers you are not conducive to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, so you say no to them. And so I decided early on, um, I don't know if you know this, because you probably don't hang out with anybody like this, and I know you don't do this, but people cuss. Did you, uh, did you know that? People cuss. And so I decided, oh, I'm going to tell you something else, too, that I'm sure you're not aware of. Christians cuss. You all don't, but other Christians have. I even saw a shirt one time that says, I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little. And I thought, I don't think that's a good thing to promote, okay? Um, so I decided as an early teenager, I was not going to cuss. And just, I wasn't going to cuss. And you say, well, you don't mean like never cuss, do you? Never. Well, what if you step on a nail? Been there, done that. I don't cuss. Well, if you hit your head, your thumb with a hammer, don't cuss. One day I was out cleaning off the, the side of the house with Darlene. There was a, uh, I wanted to reach a spot, so I jumped. The vertical was amazing. I jumped. And when I hit the, the board, it broke my finger. It snapped over sideways. And I went, oh, my goodness. I said, I just broke my finger. I showed Darlene, you know what she said? Oh, you're just doing that. And I said, I'm not just making my finger go sideways. It just it broke my finger. And, of course, then she says, well, if you wouldn't joke around about everything all the time, which is true, and, uh, and didn't cuss. And in fact, I remember stepping on a nail one time. I was working around some people. I stepped on a nail. I still remember I stepped on a nail. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, God, help me. And uh, somebody said, what did you say? Did you say Jesus or God help you? I said, yeah, it's better than cussing. And uh, so... Yeah. Last night, the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, gave away a baseball game. No cussing. Well, not for me, but no cussing from, from me. No, Darlene does not cuss either, seriously. Now, you may say, you know, I don't think there's special awards in heaven for that. I'm not saying there is, but I'm saying there's something that's very prolific in the world that you cannot do. You do not have to cuss. You do not have to do all kinds of things. You can grow. But that battle was one to decide I wasn't going to cuss, just one battle at a time. I, I remember this. I had a very frustrating morning one day, and I was going to put oil in Darling's car. And you know how sometimes the oil place is in a really good place where you can just pour it right in? Well, this car did, and it was like buried underneath stuff. You had to half a, disassemble the engine to get to put oil in it. So, but if you did it just right, you could actually hit it. And so I went to do it, but I did not do it just right. It went all over the car, all over the engine, all over everything. I'm serious. I remember pausing, thinking, there's nothing that would feel better, I don't think, than cussing right now. I don't know. It just feels like, you know, rats. Wasn't going to do it. Now, I, I'm serious. I did not cuss, but it was like, I kind of get it, you know, at this moment, you know. So, but you cannot, you can choose not to do those things, Okay. But put anything in there. You know, put anything in there. What is there in life that you might struggle with? You, you can have victory over that. You're an overcomer, man. You've got the right stuff in you. Now, it'll be one little battle at a time, and you'll get better and better and better till one day you'll realize, wow, I don't do that anymore. Maybe you used to fly off the handle all the time. Now you rarely do it, but there, there'll be a day you won't do it at all. Whatever it is, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward, whatever it is. What you're going to do 
is you're going to take advantage of the trouble and make it work for you. See, trouble usually works against us and wipes us out. We need to flip the script. Because I'm going to tell you this right now, according to Jesus, and you all know this, you're just going to have some trouble. Now, well, I didn't want to hear a message on trouble. Well, hearing a message on trouble doesn't create trouble. There's trouble in the world. I don't want to think about trouble. I don't want to, I don't want to consider trouble. Well, that won't make it happen or keep it away. It's going to come. And so you use trouble to strengthen you. you when I was a kid, there was, um, in the back of almost every comic book, was a single page of an advertisement by Charles Atlas. You probably had to be my age or older to know that. And, and this little skinny guy was in the sand, some muscle guy was kicking sand on him. He said, I'm never going to let this happen again. So how do you cure that? He got Charles Atlas's workout training, and he became, you're no longer going to be a 99-pound weakling. You're going to be a strong man. Probably made a fortune off of it and didn't turn a lot of people into strong men. I had a buddy who, uh, he worked construction, and he had a, uh, one of his fellow construction workers just like ripped to shreds, you know, my kind of build, ripped to shreds, and, and, he, uh, and he ran a jackhammer. And my buddy was just a little guy, but he thought the secret to being muscular and strong is run the jackhammer. So he asked the boss if he could run the jackhammer from then on out, and he said, sure. And he said, all it did was beat him to death, you know, pushed him around everywhere, and he never did get buff on that. So we, we don't have to be 99-pound weaklings. We can be strong men, strong women of God, because we've taken trouble and made it work for us instead of against us. Now here's some neat verses in James 1, 2 through 4. Crazy verses. Consider it pure joy. Now that's fine till you read on. Consider it pure joy. Wow, this is going to be an exciting set of verses. Consider it pure joy. I'm ready. Consider it pure, pure joy, my brothers and my sisters. When you face, huh? Consider it pure joy when you face trials and troubles of many kinds. It's almost like, thanks a lot. I mean, it can't just be a trial or trouble. It's trial and troubles of many kinds. Because you know. Now, maybe you didn't know this, but you do now. Because you know that you know the testing of your faith the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance. Some translations say patience. It's all a good translation. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete. I think the King James might say perfect. I'm not sure. But perfect's not a bad translation, except we think of perfect meaning without a single flaw whatsoever. I mean, something perfect is flawless. And really, the translation is, it's mature and complete. Are mature and complete people flawless? No, but they're more flawless than they used to be because they've grown up. That You may be mature and complete. Now, here's the end game. Are you ready? Here's what makes it considered pure joy. Because once you're mature and complete, you will not lack what? Anything. You won't lack anything. Once you grow up, once you become mature and complete, you will not lack anything. That's why you consider it pure joy. No one says, woo, so happy to have trials and trouble. No, but you go, wow, here's an opportunity to build my spiritual muscles. Here's an opportunity to build my mental and emotional muscles. Here's an opportunity to be strong. Here's an opportunity to become a guy or gal who can run with horses, who doesn't get worn out by the foot soldiers. They can run with horses. 
There's always someone wanting to tell you to quit when the going gets tough, but don't do it. Someone will tell you, just relax, just slow down, don't worry about it, don't take this thing too seriously. People t say that about Christianity. Don't take it too seriously. I mean, you know, you can get messed up if you take your Christianity too seriously. We, there, people cite problems in the world caused by Christians, and there have been problems in the world caused by Christians, but let me make this very, very plain. It was because they were poor Christians, not because they were good ones, or because they weren't even really Christians at all, but they bore the name, I'm a Christian. You don't find mature, healthy, Bible, Jesus-honoring Christians who go out and start wars and do all kinds of stuff. It's, so don't, the problem isn't don't be a Christian, it's don't be a bad one, let's be a really good one. Let's just keep growing and really do this thing right. Well, I was about 19 years old, and I was at Franklin College, and I've let my light shine. I think if you talk to people back in the day, they would say I wasn't obnoxious, I wasn't trying to push Jesus down everybody's throat. I just let my light shine. If you're out in the world, you'll have plenty of opportunities to let your light shine and to, to give a testimony for Jesus. And at Franklin College, there were some spiritual leaders in the community, pastors and associates, that would come through the dormitories at time, which is a really cool idea, with the idea of maybe we could connect with some of these you know, college people and give, point them in a direction towards some spirituality in Christ. Great idea, right? And so this one particular minister would come in, and he would find me oftentimes having spiritual conversations, talking to people about Jesus, sharing Christ with people. And so one day he said, hey, I want to have a talk with you privately. And I said, sure. And so I walk out in the hallway, and I don't remember a whole lot of the details, but I remember his closing comment. He said, Tracy, I used to be like you, wanting to save the world and lead everyone to Jesus, but you will grow out of it. What a horrible advice. Now, I hope the guy a couple days later thought that was really stupid to tell somebody. But if I could see him today, I'd say, I was 19, and then I was 25, and I didn't grow out of it. And I turned 35, and I didn't grow out of it. And I turned 45, and I didn't grow out of it. 55 didn't grow out of it. Soon to be 60, not growing out of it. Have no intention of growing out of it. Don't ever tell somebody who wants to impact the world for Jesus, even if it's their little world, you'll, you'll grow out of this. No, encourage them. Say, let's do it. Let's, let's make a difference for God. Let's run with horses. Let's not, and so don't, don't even let a spiritual person, who's at least supposed to be, talk you out of being excited for Jesus. Mm. There's always someone wanting to talk you out of it. I mentioned Job earlier. Job had some problems. Finally, his wife comes to him and says, curse God and die. Let's get it over with. He wouldn't do it. He lived, she died. The Syrophoenician woman even had Jesus tell her, challenging her. She said, heal my daughter. And he said, it's not suitable that the, that the dogs get the children's bread. Oh, but man, I love her reply. She said, but even the dog could eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus went, oh, yeah, I like that. Daughter got healed. Yeah. Jairus 
has to be getting anxious. His daughter's dying, and Jesus is being interrupted all along the way by people needing help. And no, no offense to J.R.'s, but I bet he's saying this. At this moment, I'm sorry, I don't care about the woman with the issue of blood. I don't care about the centurion's servant. I don't care about all that. I care about my daughter. We'll come back and catch those people later. Let's get to my daughter. And finally, someone comes to him from his household and says, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And the scripture says Jesus looked immediately at him and said, Jairus, don't doubt, just believe. Don't doubt, just believe. And Jairus' daughter was healed. Jesus comes along a pool, which was famous for an angel troubling the water. And the first one in the pool got healed. And he finds some guy lying there. He says, what's going on? He said, I want to be healed, but my legs don't work. I can't get in the pool. No one's here to help me. So every time the angel stirs the water, I'm the, I can't get in the time. But you know what? He met the guy who created water. He met the guy who created the angelic host that troubles the water. <laughs> and he met the healer. The, he sent his word. Jesus is the word. He sent his word and healed them. And that day he got up and carried his mat and walked away. Mm. One of my favorites, I don't know why we still call him this, Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bar I love that story because I love the guy's perseverance, his endurance, his tenacity. Think about this. He's blind. He hears that Jesus is going to be nearby. He's sitting along the roadsides, how I picture it, and he probably, prob I mean, the story doesn't really say, but he probably doesn't have much. He's probably a beggar. He's probably not real hygienically clean. He's, you know, all those things going against him. And he hears a crowd, and he perks up his head. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, which is an acknowledgement of his messiahship, by the way. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, thank God he finally gets a reply. The disciple comes by and says, Barnabas, shut up. Shut up. We have a chance to hang out with Jesus, and he doesn't want to come over here to some dirty, blind beggar and mess around with you. Quit messing up our party. I love blind Bartimaeus. Anybody remember what he did? It says, he yelled all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, that cry of faith caught Jesus' heart. He walks over and says, what do you want? He said, that I might have my sight. We really shouldn't call him blind Bartimaeus anymore. He got up that day with 20-20 vision. If there's something better than 2020 vision, he got up with it. Because I guarantee you, Jesus gave him the best upgrade possible. He had the best eyesight in the land. Wow. There's always someone wanting to tell you, you're too broken. Your past is too bad. Your faith's too small. You've been abused. Maybe you've been the abuser. You're born on the wrong side of the tracks. You're too unattractive. You're too uneducated. You don't have the right connections. You don't have enough faith. You can't do it. Well, all that stuff comes from Satan, who is a liar. The Bible says that he's the father of lies and that, his, that lying is his native tongue and that, that he's called the accuser of the brethren. And to say that in a more modern way, he's always 
making accusations against the children of God. He's always making accusations against the children of God. But it didn't bother some of these people. They just kept going on after God. Now, I don't know if you've ever... I have a push mower that has like, you know, a, it's uh, self-powered. You know what I mean? I mean, it's way too much work to push the thing yourself. So it's self-powered. And they'll have these little, this little like uh, rabbit on it and this little turtle on it. And uh, throttles have that, like, like this on the screen right there. You got turtle mode and you got rabbit mode, okay? The same thing spiritually. Let's move out of turtle mode, spirituality. Let's move out of turtle mode, Christianity. Let's, let's tell the devil, I've got a whole new setting that you haven't even seen yet. I'm not going to live the rest of my life in turtle mode. I'm not even going to live the rest of my life in rabbit mode. I'm moving up to Kentucky Derby mode. Okay, I'm moving up to Kentucky Derby mode. i got a new setting. i got a new setting because I'm designed to run with horses. I'm designed to be an overcomer. Amen. Jesus makes us that. It's not ourselves, it's him. So how do we do that? How do we go from turtle mode to rabbit mode? Now, truth is, you start in turtle mode, okay? We all start, but keep pushing yourself. Keep moving forward, keep moving forward. One day you go, man, I'm almost up to half rabbit speed. Oh, man, I'm at rabbit speed now. That's cool, keep going. One day you'll be able to run with horses. That's fine, wherever you're at, just keep moving forward. Now, you hanging around with somebody who's running like a horse, and you're running like a turtle, that's okay. They'll inspire you. You don't have to try to be them tomorrow. They didn't get there overnight. You just let them inspire you. You, you look at that and go, wow, I'm going to run like a horse one day. I'm going I'm to move forward. I'm going I'm to get out of turtle mode one of these days. Man. It needs to get embedded. Here's, here's how it happens. How does it happen? How do we go from turtle to rabbit to horse? Because we have to get embedded in our mind and our heart. What Jesus said, in me you have peace. In the world you have trouble. Be encouraged, I've overcome the world. And that we don't have to get worn out with footmen. We can run with horses. And we are overcomers. And we just started practicing and applying the word of God over and over and over. Think with me for a minute. If a problem has arisen, it has arisen. You can close your eyes and click your heels and say, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. And when you open up your eyes, the problem will still be there. So you, you have to say, it's here. I don't like it. I don't want it. Who wants any of that? But again, thinking about it doesn't create the problem. Hearing preaching on it doesn't create the problem. The world has the problem. It's broken. This world's broken. All creation's crying out and groaning out. You know what's crying out and groaning out, the Bible says? For the sons of God to be manifest. Now, if you say, well, that's, uh, I can't think of myself as a son of God. Okay, for the children of God, the sons and daughters of God to be manifest. It's looking for some people who can run with horses. So we consider it pure joy. We exercise our faith. We build our spiritual muscles of perseverance and endurance, and then we mature. And when we mature, we will not lack any good thing. We won't lack any. Who doesn't want to be there that we won't lack any good thing? So take whatever trouble. If it's just I can't find my keys, I can't do this, can't do that, little things. Just keep building on it and growing on it. If that used to flip you out and make you angry and 
ruin everybody's day around you because something went, you, you grow and you grow and you grow and you grow. You keep applying the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, and then you'll have maturity and you'll not like any good thing. The Bible says that the wrath of man does not bring about the righteous work of God. I just picked that out because if you, if you flip out all the time, it doesn't produce anything righteous in you. In fact, it makes everybody around you uncomfortable and upset and it's all unnecessary. So start working on that. And then there'll be a day where people go, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you flip out forever. And you say, I don't do that anymore. What will happen is you'll mature. See, there, there's, there was issues. There was issues. Like here's a problem. There were issues like that that used to trip you up. There were issues that big that used to trip you up. And one day, you'll just walk right over top of it. And then people go, how do you do that? And you'll say, what? How, how, do, how do you walk over a problem like that? You go, well, that ain't no problem. That's nothing. That's nothing. Why? Because you built your spiritual muscles. Then you'll be able to step over bigger things and bigger things and bigger things. And if you're growing spiritually, there's probably things going on in your life right now you don't even give a second thought to that would have wiped you out 10 years ago because you have grown in the Lord. So let's use these problems, these troubles, these trials to our advantage. Wouldn't it be nice? Because the devil's, the, the devil's behind a lot of trouble. I don't know if you know that or not. He's behind a lot of trouble. Jesus had a conversation with the devil, and, well, you remember this. Jesus told Peter, Satan has desire to sift thee as wheat. I'm very serious about this. I do not like Jesus' prayer. I'm just being honest with you. I don't like Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer, I would want Jesus to tell me, but I have prayed for you and crushed the devil and he will not touch you in any way. But you know what Jesus said? I have prayed for you that your faith may be strong. I didn't pray that you were delivered from the trouble or the sifting. I prayed that your faith would be strong. Because what we need to do is every time the devil brings a trouble or a problem, he needs to sit back and go, that's a horrible idea with these people. Every time I bring a trouble or a trial or a problem... They get stronger spiritually. Every time a trial, a trial comes along, they end up building their spiritual muscles. They keep whooping up on me and all my assignments because they don't let it knock them down. They let it build them up. And we can do that only because of God, only because of Jesus. I put no trust in the arm of man or in flesh or in myself, but in him. For we are just earthen vessels, jars of clay, that we might show this all-surpassing power is from God not from 